You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. One of the things I love about football season is being able to talk to really smart people about the game. People who take it very seriously, people who will review and review and review. And, I'm, and it's not to say that people don't do that with basketball and, and baseball, but there's more time with football, being that there's only one game a week, for people to go back and, and really defend their positions, whatever those positions may be. When I went back and watched the Bears game Friday morning after the, the loss, there were a lot of things that I thought were dismaying. And on every level of the Bears offense, there was some sort of problem. The offensive line wasn't very good. They didn't get enough push. You had James Daniels playing his first real game at center, his first start at center. And you saw him struggle. You saw the the Packers do stuff to him. Some plays, he didn't even get his hands on the defender, which was definitely frustrating. The running game didn't get going because the offensive line wasn't very good. The receivers didn't have a good day outside of Allen Robinson because the quarterback in the offensive line wasn't very good. The quarterback didn't have a good day because the the coach didn't put him in a great position. I've talked about this a little bit on the air, but one of my biggest issues with Matt Nagy and some of the things that he had to say about the performance of the Bears offense, the thing that really bothers me, and I've now talked with multiple people about this is him complaining about the the run pass ratio in the game i am not someone who is here to tell you that it should be 50 50 i don't believe in that i do think that in a one possession game you can figure out ways to run the ball and what bothers me is twofold number one if Matt Nagy, and I heard his postgame comments saying, you know, he has to, you know, look at the film and talk with the coaches. And and I went back and looked at the game. I'm pretty sure that he didn't call 23 straight pass plays. I don't have that confirmed, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. I'm sh- pretty sure that there were run pass option plays that were available. Mitch did the box count. He counted the box, said, okay, we have an advantage in the pass game here, so I'm going to pass, which is what the Packers wanted him to do. My problem with Nagy is if I want to know what your mechanism is. At some point, someone on your offensive staff needs to go, whoever's charting plays needs to go, hey, coach, we've run it. We haven't run it since the third quarter. We, We have checked out of run plays every play this quarter we might want to call a straight run play and so i i went digging and i said let me talk with some people who know about the game so i talked with olin Cruz about this i talked with lance briggs you know the guys that i do the show with alex brown matt forte on whether or not there's a straight run call that a coach can say hey we're gonna pick our best run play and we're gonna run it here i want to run the play here the i want the ball to be on the ground on this play and you could send it in and do that and since matt Nagy is the play caller and the head coach to me it's inexcusable that he didn't just say okay 
that's enough. We're, we need to run the ball in a one possession game. And I think in some ways he put it at the feet of his quarterback, which I don't think is entirely fair that. Yeah, there were RPOs. Mitch saw what he saw and he did the appropriate thing that the rules of the offense say. At some point, the, the head coach and play caller have to take that out of his hands if he truly wants to run the ball. So I, I asked Dave Wanstead about this and I now do the Dave Wanstead show every week, which is great. And I said to him, do coaches have in an RPO offense on their call sheet, do they have a run play? And he told me how what he would do is if he wanted to run the ball, he would say, lock it after the play call. Hey, I want to run to the right side. Lock it, which means there's no audible. This is what pick your best play that runs to the right side. And we're going to do that. And he said that Bill Walsh had the same type of thing where he would say, run it like not run, run the ball, but run the play that, that I just called. And that's it. So I had, I had a big problem with that, and I still do, and I hopefully will see that improve. I'm not here to screed about that. I'm here to tell you that I love when smart people come on and talk about football, and sometimes their opinions are different than mine. Uh, this isn't necessarily a different opinion, but I, I thought that what Anthony Heron did on the show Monday was uh, really important, and it needed to be discussed. So Anthony Heron is one of our, our experts at the score. He does a great job on Fox 32. He calls games for the Pac-12 network. He's all over the place. He had tweeted out that he thought that some of the criticism towards Mitch was unwarranted, that there needed to be more criticism levied at the head coach versus the quarterback. And he makes a compelling case for it. And you can add it to what I was just talking about at the beginning here. But I want you to take a listen to our conversation. I think that Anthony makes some really great points. Uh, in, in the middle of this, you'll hear me retort. And by the way, you should listen to the entire conversation. If you're not subscribed to the show's podcast, you should, it's so good. But this particular stretch of the conversation I thought was important to give some some layer perspective on what we saw on Thursday night. So this is Anthony reacting to how everyone else was reacting and then going back and watching the tape. Here's what he saw. And I think he makes a compelling case for Matt Nagy doing a better job in helping Mitch Trubisky out. I think the, and the thing for me was after Thursday, I literally, we got off the air over on 32 on bears post game line. We got off the air after midnight and then I literally had to head to O'Hare at like 4 a.m. because I had a flight that was prior to 6 a.m. to get out west for, for my Oregon broadcast. So I hadn't been in the city. I, I didn't get home till late morning yesterday. So I hadn't been in the city to absorb the, the Bears reaction, the Mitch reaction. So a lot of it was just me tracking social media, having a sense for what's getting, you know, folks texted me and everything else and a little bit of, you know, DMs on social media with folks freaking out about this and that. But I, I felt like it's likely fairly accurate. Twitter's not always the most accurate gauge of things, but I assumed, yeah, this is probably where folks are in, in just full-on flame mode about what's happening with Mitch, with the offense, with Nagy, with the Bears. What I saw, and I talked about it a bit on, on our show on, on Post Game Live, but then even in, in watching the film again, I was even more struck that while the, the quarterback position and Mitch himself – are the easiest target for the team in general, but especially and specifically with the Bears offense. 
aside from Allen Robinson, there wasn't another individual on the Bears offense that I thought played as well as Mitch did. And that's part of what I went into on on the final word last night. I mean, there, there were drives early in the first half, just first half in general, because my, my assessment initially was, well, he played under control in the first half, and then things just kind of skewed and scattered on him a bit in the second half as the game just felt like it was getting away from him. He played better in the second half when, when they allowed him to open it up a little bit, when he got a little more aggressive with some of his throws. He was 10 out of 16 in the first half. The second half, there were multiple drives, specifically one of the drives I broke down from the fourth quarter of the game last night, the very opening drive of the fourth quarter, the one that ends up in, in third and 40 that, that folks, you know, rightfully made a big deal out of afterwards. Like, how do you end up in third and 40? And Matt Nagy is like, I don't have a play for third and 40. How they ended up there had very little to do with Mitch, had really nothing to do with Mitch. Yep. It was Mitch lacing passes over the middle to Allen Robinson outside the pocket. One of the two times they actually called a, a varied launch point where they got him out of the pocket a little bit, where he just had a, a dart that he threw to the sideline on, on a deep comeback route to Taylor Gabriel. Had another one. He fitted right over the ear of a defender, and Gabriel hits him in both hands. A difficult catch, but certainly a catchable ball that Gabriel hits him in both hands and he drops. That was one of multiple penalties back-to-back by Charles Leno that would have gotten called back anyway. So then you just end up retracting yards over and over again on a drive where Mitch is out there dealing, hitting Cohen, hitting Robinson, hitting Gabriel, the deep ball where he evades a sack and just heaves it all the way downfield. Now that's on what, I think it was second or third and 30 at that point. So yeah, it's a little bit of a hero throw on third and 30, but you evade a sack, you extend a play, you heave it downfield to Gabriel. Gabriel gets the push-off penalty before he makes the catch. That was just one example of a drive. The, there was a drive late in the third quarter where folks made a big deal out of Mitch allowing the delay of game calls to happen. There was a drive where the Bears are moving the ball down the field. He's hitting Shaheen. He's hitting Cohen. He's hitting Robinson, as he did throughout the night with Robinson. The two delay of game penalties, the first one, they got 10 men on the field. Mitch doesn't assign the personnel groupings. Mitch isn't sending guys on the field, so he gets out there. They break the huddle. He's looking, trying to figure out why doesn't this formation look right. All right, clock ticks away. Mitch didn't call a timeout. Matt Nagy didn't call a timeout either. He's got all the access in the world to call the timeouts. He's the one deploying the person. Him, his coordinators, the position coaches out there, they're deploying the personnel. They could have called a timeout. Second one that happens later on in drive. At this point, you can see there are several plays after that where Mitch is cycling his finger as he's huddling the guys up towards the sideline, signaling, get the play in quicker to me. Can you get me the play call so we can get this thing moving? He did that multiple times later in that drive. Another delay of game happens later in that drive. So I think it, the city itself, and I've, I've turned into like, the, I, I tweeted this a little earlier, I've turned into the defender of all things Mitch when I immediately, you know I did, I did it on your show, questioned the pick of him, the selection of him in the draft. But now the city needs to get away from he's not Pat Mahomes, he's not Deshaun Watson, because that's got nothing to do with whether or not the Bears can win with Mitch. If Mitch is progressing, who immediately, developmental quarterback when they bring him in, first year, just a, a, a dry erase board of nothingness as far as his, his knowledge of football at this level. Second year, la, you know, last season with Nagy in as his coach, we saw progression. We saw improvement. Now this year, we need to see more progression and improvement. I think there were a number of signs in the game the other night that Mitch has continued to progress and improve. Matt Nagy might have had his worst game calling plays as a coach of the Bears. The offensive line was just in shambles with what Green Bay continued to throw at them, that little sugar, you know, um, sort of, you know, 
fainting the blitz look and the double A gap over and over again. They didn't know whether or not they should try to slide it that direction or if the guys were actually going to come or not. They featured that throughout the game and completely threw off the pass protection. And then they did everything they could to get Charles Leno and Bobby Massey out on an island over and over again. These were two tackles who folks were ready to run out of town. But then, as you and I were discussing when they made the Matt Nagy hire, his system is such where you can – in a way, sort of disguise when you have tackles who aren't as effective as you'd like in pass protection because of the RPO, because of the quickness of the passing game, and because, frankly, he had shown the ability or the willingness in the past to hand it off to a running back more frequently than he did here in Chicago in his first season and then he did the other night. When you have a run game, when you have variance to the launch point, you don't need an offensive line that's going to be the best in the world at protecting a quarterback on five and seven, seven-step drops. Matt Nagy didn't pull that off, and the offensive line didn't pull that off for Mitch the other night. May I retort? Please do. Okay. I agree with you that a big portion of what happened with the Bears offensively falls on, on Nagy more than it, it does Mitch. And mm-hmm. the, the examples that you point out are really good ones. And by the way, it's not a second time that the Bears in a big situation have had 10 players on the field. You go back to the Philadelphia game where Adrian Amos is out there going, something's wrong. And he doesn't call timeout, and neither does the head coach mm. call a timeout. It ends up being a touchdown to the tight end on that play. Amos goes to cover the tight end on the play because he's like, someone has to cover him, and there's 10 guys yeah. out here. So it doesn't. So that's a problem for me. My issue with Mitch, and we saw this a couple of times in, in the game on Thursday, they knew when he gets in trouble, he is going to lock in on Robinson mm. because he feels like Allen Robinson can make a play for him, mm-hmm. which I understand. I mean, you spend a lot of money. This is the guy that should be doing that for you. It wasn't just the interception in the end zone that bothered me. In the first half, the play where Savage is like, oh, I know exactly what this is. Right. I'm going to run the route for Robinson, yeah. and you have completely locked on to him. I think that's a place where his development is still – it's troubling to me that he – doesn't move the safety with his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do it to Amos on the play right. in the end zone right. where Amos knew the formation said, ah, I know what you're going to try and do. Mm-hmm. All Mitch has to do is look him, and, yeah. and you get, Just you hold get, him you get that, that yep. half hold a step him in the middle of the field for a bit. Yep. And, and maybe you end up making that play. So, so even on there, you're right. Like the, the play where he is outside the pocket and he makes the throw, and he's one of the best you know, throwing quarterbacks on the run last year. But when he's in the pocket, I'm still concerned that there isn't enough field awareness for him to get the most out of what he's got physically. If they're going to throw him 45 to 50 times a game, that'll continue to be an issue until he really develops it. If, like, Kirk Cousins goes 8 out of 10 attempts in the game yesterday because Minnesota's running the ball and they have a great defense and they can get away with doing that, then – a lot of high-level quarterbacks and quarterbacks with talent and ability to throw the football can thrive in that environment. Mitch can definitely, to me, thrive in that environment. I, to, calling 45 to 50 fast plays in a game, that just sets him up for where he's in his development. That sets him up for failure, to, to not move the launch point more frequently than they did the other night, especially against a pass rush that has a, a bead on your pass protection, sets him up to struggle in a game like it was the other night. So. You know, that's where I'm laughing at myself as, as the defender of all things Mitch because I don't think Mitch is a great quarterback. I don't think Mitch is a finished product yet. I certainly hope he's not because if he's not, then he's not maximizing his talents that he has available to him. My issue is not that, that I think Mitch is awesome yet. My issue is that Mitch was placed in a position Thursday night. Horrible one. Where, yes, where, where it would be very difficult for many, for most quarterbacks to thrive in the position he was in the other night. 
it doesn't mean the Bears can't win with Mitch because there's going to be a few snaps in the game where he throws a ball into tight coverage and maybe one gets tipped, maybe one gets intercepted. It's going to happen sometimes. Great call. I mean, there was multiple passes Aaron Rodgers should have gotten picked off the other night, and he's Aaron stinking Rodgers. So when you're asked to throw the ball a lot in a game, every once in a while defense is going to get a beat on you, or every once in a while your eye discipline isn't going to be as adequate as it should be. And for a guy who literally did not attempt to pass in the preseason, to not, frankly, be on top of his eye discipline isn't something that shocks me. I think he should have played a little bit more in the preseason. That's a discussion we had during the preseason. I feel like the results of the offense in the game the other night were part of that, regardless of what I think at this point it's the proper approach to say that's not a problem because within the locker room, the Bears don't want that to feel like an excuse for what was out there the other night. But for me, with my eyes and what I anticipated going into it, yes, I thought it was going to be a problem. I do feel like it was a problem with the offense early in the season last year. Hopefully they, they kind of cycle out of that and get that out of their system. But, yes, Mitch does not read defenses consistently at a high level. He's better at reading them now than he was a year ago. He's certainly better at it last year than he was the season before that. That's what the expectation should be when you take a developmental quarterback. That was the issue I had with the pick. It wasn't that Mick, Mitch didn't have talent. It's that Mitch is a developmental quarterback. You're taking it number two in the draft. And so, moving. And moving. And moving to moving do it. Moving up to get him. But at this point – there's a formula that's very available to the Bears. I mean, they went 12-4 and with him last year. They can win games with Mitch again this year. I, I think it's, it's the, the – I feel like there's a lot of folks following the Bears in the city, in the media, the fans, everyone else, who it, it feels like they're still hanging on to the fact that he's not Deshaun Watson and that he's not Pat Mahomes. He's not. And if, especially from a Mahomes standpoint, he probably never will be. Mm-mm. That's okay. Like, Jared Goff isn't those guys either. He brought the Rams to a Super Bowl appearance last year. And so much of the Jared Goff discussion is about Sean McVay being a genius. Jared Goff is a talented dude. Like, he was the number one overall pick before Sean McVay was a head coach. Now you take a coach who can refine his skills, put him in a position where Todd Gurley, the running back, is the focal point of the offense. And then on occasion, when we have to ask him to really step up and do something with special arm talent, Jared Goff is in a position to do it. That, to me, is the formula the Bears can definitely have consistent success with with Mitch Trubisky. It doesn't have to be sit in the pocket and carve somebody up 43 to 50 pass attempts a game. And I'll be surprised if that's a formula we see very frequently this year. Okay, tremendous stuff from Anthony Heron, as I said. And you heard me in there talking about how I still think that the stuff that Mitch is responsible for, he still needs to get better at. Looking off defenders for one locking on to Allen Robinson whenever he feels threatened as an offense like that to me is uh not not going to make him take that next step in his development as a quarterback so I just think that that it's not either or it's a little bit of both and but but I do Anthony did convince me that this time it's more on Nagy than it is on Mitch that he has the more seasoned eye and needs to do a better job of putting his quarterback in a better position. I know that we'll touch on this topic again next year when we get to August and you know how I feel about training camp. I don't like it. I I don't think that a lot of the stuff that we learn in it is significant, but now we've seen two games of Matt Nagy with his kind of pared down training camp where guys don't really play. And I wonder if there will be a change. So like last year, Mitch didn't play a lot. This year he played, but he didn't throw the ball. I wonder if next year we'll see him do more of that to get prepared. The other thing that I'm concerned about is 
the altitude in Denver. Now the Bears had a good chance to rest, to hydrate, to and they have the advantage from a day's standpoint over Vic Fangio's team that lost to Oakland last night inexplicably. But I I hope that they are cardiovascularly is that a word ready for the challenge of playing in Denver. It's legit, and if you've ever gone hiking or running in altitude, you know what I'm talking about. So we shall see. But I I think that Anthony's point stands that you have to, that Matt Nagy needs to do a better job of taking care of Mitch, and that sometimes means taking plays out of his hands. We'll continue to talk about the development of Mitchell Trubisky. Like, none of this stuff needs to be answered necessarily today. I'm looking forward to seeing how he, Nagy, and the offense bounce back from their performance in week one. And maybe we'll see a better version of them against the Broncos on Sunday. I'll tell you this much. Joe Flacco, he looks like a guy who's done. He looks, and I hope that I'm not proven wrong, but he looks like a guy who is done and the Bears defense should feast. But I'll talk about that as we preview the game on Friday. I appreciate you listening. I have something cool for you tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, at Lawrence W. Holmes is where you can find me. If you want to find Anthony on Twitter, and you should, Big Ant Heron is where you can find him. Subscribe to this podcast. You get good stuff every day. Rate it. Give it five stars. It helps us. Yay! Talk to you tomorrow.